Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Stefano Salvatore, partner and co-head of Hydrogen Struggles Global Automotive Practice. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Andy Palmer, CEO of Aston Martin. Andy launched successful and highly innovative products in his previous executive roles. Since he became CEO at Aston Martin, the business has built partnerships with companies such as Mercedes and Red Bull and brought out a huge range of new products, from the beautiful DB11 to the game-changing Valkyria and Vulcan, as well as a lineup of new Zagatos. Andy, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Not at all. It's uh, great to catch up with you. Andy, the automotive world is at a clear inflection point. There are changing consumer expectations and behaviours, changes in legislation, and advances in technologies that are likely to produce a fundamental shift across the entire industry and value chain. How does a 105-year-old company make sure that it stays relevant in this changing landscape? Well, you're right about the change. Um, I would I would argue, and I don't think too many people in the industry would disagree with me, that we're probably at a point of greatest change since the move from the horse to the, to the, the car. Um, whether, it from a, whether it's from a social point of view, which is if you think about the trends in megacities, um, around 70% of the world's population will live in a city um, by 2050. Um, whether you think of it in terms of Gen Z and the, uh, the changing attitudes and behavior of that generation, whether it's the, um, the longer lives that we all have, but more importantly, the longer lives with more mobility, and then we expect to be able to use our cars for a lot longer. Um, or whether it's the uh, increasing empowerment of women, and one only needs to look towards Saudi Arabia, for example, and uh, the, the women are now able to drive their own cars. Um, or, on the other side, if you look at technical trends, and generally speaking, we, we refer in the industry to four technical trends, ride-sharing, um, connected car, autonomous car, and um, zero emissions. And you put all this together, and what you have is a really, really profound change in the industry that, that, that allows the ingress of new players, people like Google, uh, people like Apple, people like Tesla. Will they all be successful? No, they won't. Uh, but they will challenge the, the norm that we've seen over the, the last 120 years. Now, as Aston Martin's concerned, you know, we can't ignore that. You can argue that we make handmade cars to uh, very, very uh, high net worth individuals, that, that it's somehow closeted from this kind of change, but it's not. Um, and our behavior has to change and the 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 way that i would express it internally is that aston martin needs to behave like a 105 year old startup how have you found the having operated at the top of an organization like nissan with tens of thousands of employees producing five and a half million cars to now leading an ultra luxury business with under 2000 employees producing several thousand of the most iconic cars in the world. Has this meant also a change in leadership styles? You know, it's the same and different. Um, I mean, in, inside the company, in the, in the way that we develop a car from a sketch to a clay, from a clay to a prototype, from a prototype to a, a production trial, and from a production trial to a to job one, 
it's essentially the same. Um, we do it quicker. We, 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 we tend to rely much more on the craftsmanship and rather than the computers, but essentially it's the same. And you'll hear the same acronyms being used in Rover, Nissan, or, or Aston. Uh, I'm always, I always smile when I hear the word of ETRS, which is a, it seems to be a, a common language across the whole of the, uh, the, the auto industry. So the methodology and the skills and the questions uh, and the discipline of, of, of developing a car is the same. Now, where where you start to um, to be a little different, um, we as a car company put all of our emphasis on on design. We 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 basically make cars what we call for the love of beautiful, and quite often in car companies, the the designer has a rather small voice, and the engineering department has a rather large voice, and normally the finance department has a great big screaming loud voice. Um, we've kind of inverted that. Um, obviously, we're we're very keen and and we've been very successful in making the company profitable. But we will always be design led. So we'd spend a lot of time getting the proportions of the cars right, and we make compromises in function of design. So that was a little bit different. Um, production and particularly supply chain is I- entirely different. Um, we're very vertically orientated, partly because we can't get um, suppliers to be interested in our relatively small volumes. Um, so that means that we have to make a lot of stuff in-house. And we, and we sew our own leathers and we make our own seats and we make our own instrument panels. Uh, and in that sense, it's kind of interesting because it gets you deep into that supply chain. Um, but at the end of the day, you've still got to do everything that you know about a production line, which is you've got, we, we have a tack time of about 26 minutes uh, between car. You've still got to get all of those parts line side uh, inside that window. And you'll see that same discipline, whether it's in Nissan, whether it's in Ford, whether it's in, in Aston, that discipline of getting the parts line side so that you can build first time right is, is exactly the same. Now, where you see a real difference is in the way that you treat your customers. Um, we know practically all of our customers personally. Part of the reason they, that they buy from us is because of they f- like to feel part of the Aston Martin family. And of course, that's very, very different uh, from, uh, from working in a mass brand. Uh, and that's where I would say the biggest change for me has been in that you're not marketing to a TV channel. You're not marketing to an invisible customer. In, in many cases, you know the customers personally. From both your times at Nissan and at Aston Martin, you have been at the center of driving innovation. Um, For example, from the Nissan Delta Wing, Nissan Leaf, or the Aston Martin uh, Valkyria as the most recent examples. How did you go about building an agile organization with a culture that embraces risk? Yeah, um, it wasn't obvious initially inside Nissan. To be honest, it wasn't... uh, initially obvious when I joined Aston. Um, What you have to do is you have to um, release the creativity that's naturally embedded and sometimes latent within the within the teams. Um, I flattened my organization immediately that I joined uh, Aston for example. The chief operating officer level disappeared. I have um, 12 direct reports. You encourage you encourage um, a culture which allows people to suggest ideas. 
that you take those ideas and you don't ignore them, that you create cross-functional teams to allow a natural challenge to exist. You remove functionalism. You sit people next to each other. You knock down offices. You reward people based upon um, the risks that they take. More importantly, you don't punish risks. If people have taken a risk and it hasn't worked out, well, you know, as they say, shit happens. Um, you actually have to you have to actually congratulate people for taking risk. Now, as long as they haven't been reckless and stupid or whatever. But if you've if you've gone into a, a project with your eyes wide open and it works, or it doesn't work, well, I mean so far we've had some 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 projects that haven't worked. Um, but projects like Valkyrie come directly from this this kind of approach where you encourage innovation, you encourage partnerships you encourage people to, to challenge the norms, and then special things start to happen. It has been well publicized that you're in partnership with Mercedes around powertrain and uh, switchgear technology, as well as with Red Bull around adopting Formula One technologies. Um, given the importance of collaborating from an innovation perspective, how do you see the world of partnerships, particularly with potential competitors? Um, how do you balance these relationships and make sure that they are mutually beneficial? You know, all my career, I've sought out uh, partnerships, and I tend to, I tend to prefer um, a, a partnership, a contract-based relationship, um, over and above acquisition or merger. The problem with an acquisition or a merger is that there's always a winner and a loser, and the loser is 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 always going to be tormented by by that loss. And it's very difficult then to yield the best out of those people. In a partnership, you're looking for a natural balance. You're looking for a natural balance of give and take, um, a natural balance of one party getting more or less the same back that they put in. Because if, it, if it's imbalanced, then it has to be compensated with money or, um, or, or just not an unwillingness to work. So I've always looked throughout my career for these natural, natural partnerships. Um, in the case of Mercedes-Benz, obviously, um, I don't think Aston would be where it is today had it not made the relationship with, with Mercedes-Benz because we wouldn't have the V8 engine from AMG and we wouldn't have the electrical architecture, which is so key to, to, to maintaining Aston's cutting-edge levels of technology. <clears throat> hopefully what Daimler get back, hopefully they have... A five percent share in the company, and hopefully that's becoming ever more valuable. Um, it's a different relationship in the case of Red Bull. Um, we're obviously um, allowing Adrian Newey's team to flourish and do something they've always wanted to do, which is to create a road car. Um, and obviously, we're in return um, we're helping in how to deliver that road car, which is very different from putting a car on a track. Making 150 cars um, is very, very different from making two cars to race. Likewise, we're getting more deeply embedded in Formula One. And what we're doing with Valkyrie is it's creating the, the DNA between Formula One and Valkyrie. We're creating this DNA which will eventually allow us to place uh, a mid-engine car into our range to compete with a Ferrari 488. So two, two examples of two very, very different forms of collaboration, um, but both... Uh, you can. I hope you can see that there are mutual benefits on both sides, and those relationships 
they endure and they work and they create innovations as two cultures come together. From uh, a talent perspective, um, I also um, see that obviously you have a great brand, an attractive brand, also for people who want to develop their career and uh, um, as an employee of choice. Do you have any maybe comments or observations from that perspective? saw a great tra- change over the period that I worked at the company. When I first came in, there was a, a mass migration of people, um, and it was quite difficult to retain talent. Uh, by putting in place the, the product cadence that we've put in, and, and, and basically seeing the success, um, our DB11 that we launched just over a year ago has been phenomenal in, in success. Already 3,500 cars are sold. Basically, the car was sold out um, from from launch, and even today, there's a significant forward order book for that car. Um, when a company starts to succeed, when a company starts to be able to walk with a little bit of swagger, when you're deemed by your your peers, I mean, when your when your competitors are starting to have executive committee meetings with you, Aston Martin, as the subject matter, um, you get a confidence. Uh, People like what they see. People like being um, associated with success. People like the idea of being associated with a a brand that's so so storied um, and want to be part of that turnaround. And I've seen... um, the ability to bring really good talent from the company to, from being almost impossible when I joined to being sport for choice. Uh, and I'm, I'm really pleased that when I look at my first and second lines, I've, I've now got people working for me that would be high flyers even in the largest automotive companies. Um, and what's really nice about that, that isn't all, that isn't just talent that we've bought in from the outside. That's latent talent that existed in the company that just hadn't been switched on. And some of, some of the best executives right now are people that, uh, that have been with the company a long time, but have been awoken, uh, and awoken from the product, awoken from the excitement, and awoken from the talent that's coming in and challenging them. And that's really good to see, because you know, apart from anything else, what I hope is that people who spend time at Aston Martin do their best work of their careers in that period of time at Aston. Given the recent technological advances in both manufacturing and technology around electrification and uh, connected vehicles, how do you think it will impact the automotive industry in terms of when you're looking at technologies like uh, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, augmented reality, etc.? You know, technology is impacting on the industry enormously. Um, uh, and it's 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 more than just the obvious. I mean, obviously, artificial intelligence is what drives the ability to go to an um, autonomous vehicle. Um, and whether you're a whether you're a believer or not, or whether you whether you believe that you should approach um, autonomy through level zero, one, two, three, four, five, or whether you believe you should go from level one to level four, which is actually my belief, um, the the impact of ever greater understanding on on um, on that artificial intelligence is 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 incredible. So you're seeing these these two worlds 
uh, collide the the, uh, the the world of the the iPad and uh, and, and the you know these supercomputers colliding with the cars. Um, I mean, it's amazing, but you know, just a, a DB11, for example, has over a hundred million lines of code embedded within it. You know, in many cases. Uh, Aston Martin engineers become more software engineers than they do become hardware engineers. But it's, it's the result of that collision of different technologies. But actually, it's more profound than that. I mean, it's affecting the way that we we design our factories, for example. I mean, we don't design factories by um, drawing on bits of paper anymore. We, we, we have fly-throughs uh, um, that help us, help us to decide the most efficient uh, paths of material flow. Technologies which even only five years ago, I would never have imagined. 3D printing is amazing. 3D printing was something that best you would have imagined to be for prototypes, for creating a space on a prototype. But now, of course, it's it's perfectly valid for, for production, using metals or carbon or plastic. So you almost have... Technology almost gives us too much choice. Um, and I think part of the, part of the key certainly part of the key for Aston Martin is rather than deciding what technologies to use, it's almost deciding what technologies not to use. And, and if you will, trying to back winners in technology. Um, so for example, um, we're not necessarily racing towards car share as an Aston Martin brand, uh, but we do think connected and zero emission is really, really important. Uh, ultimately, we, as, as the Aston brand, we may not be rushing towards um, autonomous driving, but it's certainly true that if you're if you're wealthy and you know your kid's Fiesta has a self park mode, then definitely your Aston Martin needs to have it as a as a hygiene factor. So again, we're not immune to that change in technology, and we have to embrace it. And uh, I'm fortunate enough that now we have a re- relatively healthy balance sheet. I can start to invest in some of those technologies and find some of those specialisms which are pertinent to Aston Martin. One of those that we choose, of course, is cybersecurity. But won't a self-driving Aston Martin lose the essence of the brand? Well, that's to some extent why we don't rush to it. Um, but let's let's be honest. I mean, you and I both both love to drive. It's you know, and it's my my passion to drive. But even for me, you know, it's uh, 10 o'clock on a Friday night coming out of Heathrow Airport in the wind and the rain uh, when you're just feeling tired and down. Wouldn't it be nice occasionally to, to be able to flip over and say, you know, my Aston, take me home. There will have been many lessons throughout your career in how best to incubate and support innovation. Um, what is the one that stands out for you? You know, I, a long time uh, ago, I recognized you know you can you can meet innovative people you can meet some remarkable people through the course of your career but you're always limited by the one person and what i've always found is if you can put three or more into a of, of you know of even not not necessarily leading edge innovative people but if you can put three or four three or four people into a room and empower them and allow them to spark off each other that group that empowered group stimulated um, with the confidence that they're empowered to do something 
can always do something better than one brilliant individual. Teams are so, so powerful. They're so powerful for motivation. They're so powerful for um, encouraging group innovation. Um, the synergy effect of one plus one equals five, when done well, when done in the right environment, is just so powerful, uh, particularly I found in our industry. And that's why I you know, always insist on open plan offices, no offices for executives, put, put teams together, allow them to spark off each other, allow the imagination to flow, but allow them to be cocooned a little bit, protected from the risk of failure. Um, this for me is how you, how you make very special cars like the Valkyrie. What about the next 100 years for Aston Martin? Well, you know, we call the turnaround plan that we're going through now our second century plan. Um, we've been around for 105 years and we'd like to be around for at least another 100. Um, to do that, I really had to change the, the structure of the company. The company historically has been uh, owned by billionaires who have come in, as, as if you will, with a little bit of uh, ego and funded the next car but not funded the car after that and the car after that and uh, what I've tried to do is create a sustainable company which means that seven cars we think there are seven different clusters within the luxury segments big clusters uh, we fill the others in with specials but seven big clusters so that dictates for me that we want to launch one car every year over the next seven years each car having a seven-year life. Copy, repeat, copy, repeat, copy, repeat. Now what you've got is you've got a relatively flat level of R&D spend. You're generating working capital from the cars that you're selling and you're, and you're churning that back into the one, the one ahead and the one ahead and one ahead. And you now, no longer have that vacuum of lack of funding uh, in which to grow, grow the business or adapt to whatever the external environment is. So what I hope I'm doing, I mean, I hope ultimately when I hand the reins over to, to, to the next guy or girl that's uh, gonna run Aston Martin, that what I hand over is something that's capable of funding itself for the next 100 years. Andy, um, thank you for allowing us to uh, spend some time with you today and for sharing your insights in terms of the industry, the brand and uh, the project that you are leading. For the love of beautiful, Thank you, Dr. Andy Palmer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.